Welcome back, everyone. I'm Brad Wolverton, a longtime college sports writer. And over the years, I've done all kinds of stories about the athletic recruiting process. I focus most of my reporting on Division I athletics, since that's where the money is, and frankly, where most athletes and families put their focus. But on today's show, we'll hear from Marie Fitzgerald and Simon McKenzie, two decorated high school athletes who played Division III athletics and sing its praises. I came across Marie and Simon through a podcast called For the Love of Sport, a show they host that they refer to as their, quote, love letter to youth sports. Their show reminds me a little bit of Smartless, one of my favorite podcasts, which they actually modeled their show on. Their guests are fine, but the conversational banner between Marie and Simon is often even more interesting than what the guests say. And as longtime athletes and coaches, they have a lot to say about the youth sports industry. On today's show, they share insights on how they secured money for college, in part thanks to their college coaches, who pointed them in the right direction for financial help, even though, as D3 athletes, they couldn't earn athletic scholarships. How they both managed to play multiple sports in college, and, in Marie's case, become an All-American in soccer, despite not even playing club soccer growing up. How Marie overcame a late start in recruiting and eventually got multiple offers and what they would tell younger versions of themselves to make the athletic recruiting process go smoother. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Marie and Simon. I wanted to start by chatting a little bit about your backgrounds as both athletes and, in some cases, coaches, to hear more about your experience with athletic recruiting and scholarships. So, Marie, let's start with you. You played AAU basketball growing up as a kid, and you were pretty serious about hoops. You also played soccer, but you didn't play it seriously. You didn't play it at a club level. But somehow you ended up playing two sports in college, both basketball and soccer, which is pretty rare. At what point did you start thinking that like maybe you could do two sports in college? And how did you manage that in the recruiting process? Definitely was totally into hoops growing up. All my friends, like my closest friends played basketball. I loved watching basketball, was totally in that world and, and loved AAU for the most part. I think it was towards maybe end of my sophomore year of high school into junior year, which is really when I think a lot of kids, at least back when I was in high school, started thinking about college, what they wanted to do, if they wanted to even play sports and kind of started to explore what that would all look like. So I think obviously being in the AAU circuit, you're kind of going to showcases. There are coaches there. Um, I certainly wasn't like a flashy st standout basketball player, more like the one on the team that just y you need to have them there, but they're not like scoring all the baskets or doing anything crazy, but definitely need them on your teams. I think going into my junior year, I started kind of getting a little bit better at soccer. And I don't know if just like my development or something finally clicked in me that was like, soccer is actually the sport itself is more enjoyable to me, whether my friends are there or not, they're not going to be there in college. So I kind of have to start to think about really what I like and what things I want to continue to do. So I was just, I kind of went to my mom and I was like, I, I don't think like basketball is really what I want to do. I think soccer is it. And she was always been fully supportive and was like, OK, like we'll figure out soccer then. Obviously, if she was I lived in a town that wasn't super close to any club soccer, but she was open to the idea of even driving and, and stuff like that. And I wasn't super interested in being in another club sport and the time and energy that would take. So. I think I eventually just kind of made the choice that soccer was it, but had a bit of a um, gap to close in terms of finding somewhere that would want me to, you know, play soccer in college. So we ended up hiring out like a third party recruiting, I don't know what you would call it, agency, if you will, to help us like 
write emails to coaches, create videos, kind of do all of that work that I hadn't done or hasn't been exposed to because I hadn't been in that world for a long time. So all to say, I think right at the end of my high school career is really when I started to take things seriously and decided to make the switch. Let's drill down on that for just one more second. So you hire this agency, this consultant type person. And was that a good positive experience? Because I hear a lot from people that you should never do that. You should only be contacting coaches directly yourself, that it's actually not what coaches in college want. But how did it work out for you? I mean, it it clearly worked out fine for us. I, I would also say the level of the schools that I was reaching out to certainly was not like D1 caliber, you know, your top schools, definitely more in the D2, D3 range. And we didn't really have any trouble. We had a ton of coaches reach back out. Maybe that was just because that was, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it is now that things have changed. But we we definitely didn't have any issues, got a ton of of people reaching back out. And that was kind of our starting point. Um, and then from there, it was like, OK, here's what we have to work with. Now let's narrow it down to things you actually are realistically interested in and kind of went from there. But we we it was really the only option we went to because we really had nowhere else to to go or to to start. Yeah, it sounds like you were kind of late to the game at that at, mm-hmm. at that stage. Most kids have been recruited. Yep. Um, but the th- interesting thing about getting recruited is that it's not so much just getting on radars early, but it's being there at the right time, which so you might have started late, but you might have just been the exact kind of kid they needed or were looking for. So that probably helped you as well. Were there things that you did that made those coaches respond to you? Like you said, you weren't a flashy basketball player. Were you a scorer in soccer? Were you more noticeable and more needed for college soccer coaches? Yeah, I I was a forward, so I scored a lot of goals. I think my sophomore year of high school, I scored 29 goals in a season. So I think that stat alone was what we led with, which was probably the right choice. Um, so I think going soccer versus leading with basketball was certainly the right way to go. 29 goals is a nice hook. No doubt, man. Or 29 goals in one season. I know. Subject As as you were known. 29 goals. (laughs) 29. Like how many games did you play? Not 29. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I'm thinking, yeah, most high school kids probably play of a season. You may play 15 or 20. Yeah, 15. And we we weren't terribly good, so we didn't make it. We did not make it far in playoffs. And I, I don't think I scored in a playoff game. So a lot of hat tricks. Nice. She scored okay. 28 in one game and then just had like one that was like actually... penalty kick. <laughs> that so would be amazing. So Simon, you also played soccer among many other sports. I feel like there, if there mm. was a sport, you played it in high school. You sort of shared yes. that story coming in here. Tell us about your experience growing up as an athlete and how you ended up getting a chance to play a college sport. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm very candid with having ADD and that really manifested in sports quite a bit too, where if whatever I was watching on TV, I just wanted to play. Like if the Mighty Ducks were on, I'm going to figure out how to play hockey in my basement. If Hoosiers is on, I'm going to the backyard. I'm trying to sink as many free throws as possible. Soccer really stuck because I had two older brothers and they stuck me in goal and I became pretty good at goalkeeping. Uh, and that I think that's sort of the the symptom of being the youngest is you're just kind of thrown in goal. But that worked out really well. I, I got to play traveling in club and when I grew up in Montana and then we moved to Minnesota, soccer remained. Soccer and tennis were my, were my big sports. And <clears throat> tennis, I didn't decide to like go after in terms of recruiting because I had a bad stint of sort of like tennis elbow. 
and overtraining and, and things like that. So then soccer became an additive, an advantage to like get into to college as it was an extracurricular, but I got to play varsity and I got to, you know, be a part of a great team. And I got recruited alongside of a good friend of mine who really got heavily recruited because he was a he was like Marie, a goal scorer. He was very talented. I was going to the same school as him and the coach called me and he had an English accent, which and I was like, whoa, this guy's legit then. He must be great. Yeah. Um, and I, I got uh, recruited just in the sense that like, he had like a questionnaire for me, asked me what position I mainly was, if I had any stats on hand. I really didn't. I was very unprepared about it. And had I been more prepared, I might have actually gotten a scholarship for soccer or for athletics. But interestingly enough, the college that I went to, they didn't really have athletic scholarships. They had leadership scholarships. So they got around this. I don't think it's a rule by any, any means, but the leadership scholarships at that stage are just like really designed for athletics. But I also got a theater scholarship on top of that. So there's that was the other thing that we were we were told like, hey, make sure you apply to a bunch of other scholarships along the way, and then they'll ask you to come in. You'll have to do some some sort of thing to validate that you are interested and in, will be doing this as part of an activity um, for the additional money that can go towards your tuition. So that was the other aspect that was on top of it. But then I played soccer for uh, a year. I have the highest goal percentage, I believe still, which is one shot, one goal. And uh, <laughs> I, I think I left it at that. I was done. I was done after that. And I played tennis and lacrosse at, at Cornell College after that. All right. So wait, you also played multiple sports in college. So we have multiple, multiple yeah. sports athletes <laughs> on this show. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> so you hit on something there, Simon, that I don't think a lot of people think about or realize is like they, <laughs> they often write off division three because they don't give athletic scholarships. No. And yet if you play your cards right, and you have mm -hmm. other talents, or the school can kind of finesse it a little bit for you, whether it's the yeah. coach or somehow they they track you into these other potential awards you could get, whether it's merit aid or some other yeah. form of a scholarship. So tell me, can you break down how much yeah. Cornell College, and this is Cornell College, not the one in New York. In Iowa. Famous. Yes. Okay. <laughs> not, I am not an Ivy League multi-sport athlete. I know I've just <laughs> let down so many listeners, but no, this is the one in Iowa. Okay. Uh, and um, go Rams, by the way. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, we talked to a few different education counselors that came to our school and, and talked about financial aid and, and all of that. And their biggest thing was they had like a list and a catalog of scholarships that were up for grabs. And of course, there's aid for those who have, you have high grades, but there's also like little niche things that are clubs or whether they're, it's sports or music or theater, in my case, these sort of fringe scholarship opportunities where you can get a good chunk of the tuition taken care of if you apply for it. Now, this is not to say they're going to like, they'll, they'll finesse it where they'll get you an opportunity. You still have to earn it. Like they're like, I still had to prepare a monologue, go on stage, give that said monologue. And then I consequently became a theater major. That's another story. But the point is, is that there's a lot of opportunities out there. There was a guy that I was playing a team with that actually got a bowling scholarship too. Um, at another D3 college that was for a large sum of money. So he would be a basketball player, but he also had a bowling scholarship and he had to be a part of the team. He had to bowl and he was good, but he could have taken care of quite a bit of his tuition had he had he gone that route. There's a whole lot of areas that you can apply to and do. The consequence is you just have to do it and be a part of it throughout <laughs> your college career. For sure. So what did Cornell cost and what sort of costs were you able to defray? <laughs> I got a $5,000 theater scholarship um, and the tuition, I believe, in 20, $2006 was like 30K, 28K. 
something like that, going out of state. All right. So a reasonable amount. And honestly, if you think about what yeah, a, a all good, yeah, what a good private liberal arts college costs these days, which is probably like twice that much on average, mm -hmm. at least on paper. Yeah. What you end up paying, if you can get it down to like twenty five grand, that's not a bad amount. Like that's a, that's like a good state school yeah. tuition. It all counts for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I I feel like at Augsburg it was it's very similar in terms of no no sports scholarships, but the athletic department does a very good job of making sure that the athletes that specific coaches want to come make sure it's super easy for them to know the options. We had like tiers of academic scholarships you could do. And so you could, there were two of the top ones. The first one, like the highest one, you had to be part of like the honors program all four years. And I was like, Meh, probably not for me. But the, the second tier is like, it's still, a, it was a significant chunk and you had to apply for that and, you know, write an essay and all that sort of stuff. And if you're your GPA fit. And so I ended up getting that. And so similarly, my scholarship was what I would have paid at a state school. Getting no scholarship, obviously, it wasn't going to be playing sports at any D1 school, but it was of, of similar cost. And, and at that point, that was kind of part of the reason why I eventually chose Augsburg as well. Nice. So I want to talk just a little bit more about the recruitment process coming out of high school. In your minds, what is oversimplified about this process? In today's world or in our own experience? I think maybe both because, you know, you've, you've had more experience now having coached as well and been yeah. involved in athletics after college, but what do you think is oversimplified about the recruitment process? I feel like when I look back on my experience, it was like you get a lot of responses back, even for someone who's like at my level of D3 or D2. Like I remember getting so many emails, so many like letters in the mail, having to kind of do your own research. And I feel like that part of things kind of gets oversimplified like you hear about like oh i'm choosing between these three but like you went through probably hours of weeding through schools checking how much they cost seeing what scholarships you were going to get there checking out the athletic program checking out the facilities visiting some of them talking with coaches i feel like you know that's the biggest part of it and i often feel like you only hear about the tail end of like oh i had two schools and i picked this one and then i was awesome and you don't often hear about like it is a lot of work, and I'm sure if I were to ask my mom how much work she probably put in versus me, it was probably even more. We're just kids, and we're we don't really understand the full scope of the decision and everything like that. Yeah, it was how much time, how much yeah. time it like you it took to actually dive in deep into each of these schools, each program, and what are they gonna, what can they offer? Is that gonna be a good fit for me? And then actually going out to these schools too, especially yeah, the state. the the money that yeah it costs to go on trips for like, you know, D one they're obviously paying for the big recruits mm -hmm. to come out and you know you hear about those stories, but like the cost of if you're flying or driving and staying in a hotel, doing visits, all that sort of stuff is usually completely out of your own pocket. So, I mm -hmm. yeah, shout out to Joan, to our <laughs> shout out to, Joan and to, Becca. To Joan and Becca, our moms, and I'll say my my dad too, to Bruce for for shouldering the load of driving me everywhere for those trips. I hear that. So Marie, when we started emailing a couple months ago about having you guys on the show, you said something I found really interesting, and that was 100% know how brutal scholarships and recruiting can be, both from personal and professional experience. Can you tell us what you meant by that? I think from the professional side, it can be very similar to like applying for jobs, like you hear about, oh, there's so many job opportunities out there. But then like when you're in it, 
it's like it seems like there's nothing or you never hear back from people. But you're like, they're hiring a thousand jobs. And it's like, well, I applied to 10 and I didn't hear back from anything. So I think it manifests in like all of those different ways that like if you were to try to relate to something in your professional life, like I'm sure everyone has a story about applying to a job and it being awful and not finding what you need or finding the right fit. And then I think too, the the flip side of that is then when you do find the one, it always tends to feel like it was like, oh, well, of course this has to be the one. Like this just feels so right. And like it fits perfectly. And the whole process was awesome. But I think it takes a little bit to get to that point where like when I reflect on mine, choosing Augsburg was definitely not what I thought I was going to do. Even up until like April of my senior year, I didn't have my senior basketball night. I had undecided still in the basketball program. So it can be a bit of a a brutal process. For both of you, what made you go to the schools you ended up picking? You want to take that one, Simon? <laughs> sure. Uh, Cornell, sorry, Cornell College. I keep saying that too. Like the, in my own head, I know I mean Cornell College, but I'm not talking Cornell University. Cornell College felt a really great place to grow and nurture talent in a smaller setting, in a more intimate setting. And ultimately, I mean, I'll shout out to Cornell College to help that help me in terms of my academics uh, with the one course at a time. Like they have, it's one course for one month. It's basically J term all year round. I saw that. I love that yeah. idea. And I and wish it, more colleges did that. I do too. And there are two colleges from my knowledge that do it. And honestly, college was like something that was very daunting for me, like going out of high school. I was like, this is like managing all this is going to be a lot. Like I was looking at university level too, like looking at the University of Minnesota, obviously, and then looking at Seattle you know, College and all these other places. And But one block at a time, it's just one one course. You have your final at the end of the month. You have a four-day break, which is awesome. And then you move on to your next class. And I think that was the biggest thing that helped me really make the decision is that I knew that I didn't have a choice to let my mind wander. Like I could have extracurriculars, but knowing that my full day was going to be dedicated towards one particular course of study made all the difference. And actually it helped in terms of sports too. Like I had basically my day job. And then after that I had sports and then I could you know, socialize. And then I just had a good, solid schedule I could repeat. That was a big deal for me. <laughs> nice. I've never heard of that. It's awesome. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I think it would also help you learn better because you're just not like engulfed in so one thing. Things. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, uh, when it came to languages, like French, like the, the higher levels French, that was huge. Just being in, that was the first time I ever dreamt in French was like, I did three <laughs> straight months of it. And like, there was one point I was like, this is, <laughs> this is wild. Like there'd be gibberish and then there'd be French in my head and it was, it was pretty cool. So yeah, it did help a ton in certain activities and, and, and fields of study. Nice. Marie, what made you pick Augsburg? I am the opposite. I definitely did not pick anything based on the educational setup. I would say I also had no idea what I wanted to do. I went in to be an elementary school teacher and here I am working for a sports tech company. So life is a fickle fool. So I got down, weeded through all the options, got down to two. One was in Iowa, in Dubuque, Iowa, University of Dubuque, and then Augsburg, which was in like the heart of Minneapolis, which is when I went into this whole college thing, I was like, (laughs) my mom jokes about this. I was like, I am not moving to a big city. I am not a big city person. I will not do it. And so that's why I think Dubuque naturally kind of rose to the top. It's like very much a college town. There's three D3 schools right in Dubuque, Iowa. It's 
it feels small towny, which is kind of where I grew up and came from, which was comfortable. And so I narrowed it down to those two and then had set up visits with both of them to kind of see a game and like get to know the teams and the coaches in person. And when I went to Dubuque, it was great. I would say it was a fine experience. Like I wouldn't knock anything about it. But when you're in a place and you just, you know, it's probably not the right fit. That was kind of my experience there. So I said, okay, well, I'll give Augsburg a try. And I would say a huge shout out to my to Mike Navarre, who's the coach at Augsburg and the assistant coach at the time, they were super hands-on in their recruiting. So I had like handwritten notes were like mailed to me. He would call me on the phone, like leave voicemails and just be super personable. He cared about like my parents and getting to know them. So that whole experience had already kind of set the foundation. And then when I went for my overnight, a really cool uh, thing about Augsburg, which is kind of rare in soccer, is they play all of their home games at night under the lights, uh, which was just like so, awesome. so cool. Yeah. So I, I went to like a, a home game under the lights. They were like, I think they won and got into playoffs. So it was just like the it was probably a right mix of environment as well. And I did an actual overnight there. So I stayed with girls on the team and it just felt like I was already a part of the team when I went there. So I my parents picked me up the next day and I was like, well, I'm going to move to Minneapolis, I guess. And so from there, I I uh, was like, yeah, that this is it. I felt super strong about it. And you just kind of know when you know. And then I was like, when I made the decision, I was still playing basketball my senior year. And I was like, oh, I don't really know if like I really want to stop playing basketball forever. Like this could be it. And so <laughs> my mom's like, why don't you just reach out to the basketball coach? I was like, I don't know if that's like how these things are done. And she's like, well, the worst thing that's going to happen is like he doesn't respond or he says no. And I was like, all right. So I sent I had definitely more basketball footage and stuff. So I just had sent them um, some footage and he was like, he's a great dude in the Augsburg athletic department's really close. So they actually, Mike, who is my soccer coach, and then Bill at the time, who was the basketball coach, took a drive road trip from Minneapolis to Madison, Wisconsin to come watch me play a basketball game. And then after the game, they're like, sure, you, you can be on the team. You're in. That's awesome. So I was like, awesome. I'll play both. Love that. Fun. That's that's really nice. And so what was that like when you were in college playing two sports? It sounds like Bill left after a little bit, but did they get along? Did they allow you to have the time you needed with each sport? Because I know so many sports now are mm -hmm. year-round endeavors. Yeah. Actually, Bill. so Bill McKee, he passed away. He had cancer uh, midway through my... Well, it would have been my sophomore to junior year or junior to senior year, one of those years. Um, well, sorry to hear that. No, that's okay. So I think something that's unique about Augsburg, I'm pretty close with some coaches still and I've had conversations with them, but I think it is unique. I never ran into issues. I think I was also pretty clear with my basketball coach that soccer was my priority. And so I would kind of work around that. The only time things got a uh, little mixed was we usually made it into the postseason in soccer and we made it to the national tournament a few times so that bleeds into November and basketball starts right around November but I was I was always pretty upfront saying like soccer is is why I'm here first and foremost so I did have a, a like a knee surgery so that kind of backed me up in, in basketball anyways but I think they were super open to just have have me being on the team was what they wanted so if they were willing to kind of make it work I never came into basketball like out of shape or anything. I think I was at my best shape in basketball coming after soccer season. So a lot of what the first month of basketball is, is, you know, getting in shape, getting to know each other, all that sort of thing. So 
I think once I was on the team and people kind of knew me, they were like, yeah, like she can come in a month later. It'll be all right. We'll make it work. I did always have to kind of eventually I started start like got into the starting lineup. But every year I would always start on the bench, work my way in or start to earn it, um, which I I respected and appreciated about about that as well. I thought that was the right way to do it. Nice. Yeah. Looking back, looking back on your youth sports and college sports experiences, is there anything you you guys wish you had done differently or changed? Yes, I would have played club soccer a hundred percent. I would have told Little Marie. I would have told <laughs> Little Marie, "You might like soccer later. You should see." Because I don't know. I always wonder, like, what if I had? Yeah. I went into college with just like no soccer. Like, I'm not going to say I was pretty good, but I like didn't have a coach that really knew soccer. I didn't really understand the game. I just had like raw talent that had to be refined. And then eventually, like, I think I played some of my best soccer right after college because I finally got it. Mm -hmm. And then I lost all my shapes. And then it kind of was a very a, a small peak. And then we went back down. But I'm always wondering, like, I wonder if I would have focused on soccer a little bit sooner or done both, maybe. I like that I did a lot of sports, but um, how it all worked out. But would it would it be super hard though to do two sports like AAU basketball and travel soccer or club soccer? Would would that have been too much on you, or do you think you should just have made it work? I probably would have made it work. I also think fifteen years ago, two club sports probably aren't to the level of what a club sport is now. Because um, I remember my AAU basketball was not all year long; it was definitely only in the summertime. I would have made it work to do both for sure at the level I was doing it at. What about you, Simon? I would have absolutely loved to sit down like what, however old, like 11, 12 year old Simon say, so happy you had a great experience of growing up and playing basketball and soccer and swimming and tennis and all these amazing sports. That's wonderful. Now I'm going to tell you to play golf and that's it. You're just going <laughs> to yeah. play golf forever. That's yeah, that your sport. Too. I'm a firm believer in that multi-sports helps your body adapt a lot quicker to certain sports, but I do think if I could go back and give advice, I would I would take young Simon, I'd place him on a golf course until he got one good shot up in the air. And then I'd be like, cool, you're good. And then I'd leave him alone because I knew after that moment, he would do nothing else but play golf. And why golf? I don't know. I'll quote Michael Jordan. It's playing yourself in a mirror. It's the perfect sport for self-improvement and keeping that mentality. The slightest thing wrong and the list of 50 you have to do in your backswing and full swing through affects the shot. You can do 49 out of 50 things correct and it's still going to be a shank. That's one of the weird, beautiful things about golf is that it's a very hard and very rewarding game at the very same time. Which is also why it sucks. Yes. It also sucks for that exact <laughs> reason. So true. I mean, it's also, it's it's a kind of, it's a lifetime sport. Um, it it's is. harder to play soccer. Less injuries. Or, you know, yeah. Less injuries. But it all, I, I thought maybe where you were going was like, college scholarships, maybe more opportunity that there. Too. I don't know. Well, maybe not now, but certainly back yeah. Back when I was applying to colleges, I had a couple of buddies that were on a full ride playing golf. And I never realized like what that entailed from a college aspect. Like, yeah, you're training and yeah, you're playing really like in Iowa, you're playing like, I don't know, four months out of the year. But mm -hmm. at the same time, what they do and the game of golf is so relaxing where it's just like, if that's what you're doing full time or that's what you have a scholarship for, gosh, that's the dream. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. If you guys were doing anonymous exit interviews based on your college sports experience, 
What would you say was the most positive thing you got out of it? And what was one thing you wish was better or different? I would say definitely like the positive. I think going into college, and this is going to sound like a cheesy answer, but that's okay. I love, I like a little cheese. Embrace the cheese. Embrace the cheese. Give us the queso. Yep. I'll be vulnerable. I think when I was going into college, I had no. Like, I think I was obsessed with sports. Like, I went in and I knew I was going to have a good experience through sports. But I think what I got out of it was, like, Mike, who was my soccer coach, was such a guy who was like, we're going to help you become, like, a better person. You're going to, like, you're going to give back to the program. You're going to give back to the community. We did so much, like, community service. We did a mission trip to Nicaragua and did all this, like, really awesome stuff. And I think had I not gone to Augsburg and been in that program, I don't think I would like be really be the person that I am outside of soccer. I think I got and became a really good soccer player too. Don't get me wrong, but I think I'm, I would not be this person and have like kind of some of the core values that I like really believe in and lean in on if I had not been a part of that program. Negative, I would not, I would probably have just sucked it up and not cut the cord on basketball. I would, have. I think I, I uh, burned myself out a little bit and created some uh, long-term injuries and and things with my body that I probably shouldn't have uh, pushed so hard on. So that's kind of always the feedback I I give myself. And I'm like, eh, you probably didn't need to do too. We always say like our joke, our grades were always better when we were in a sport because you had structure and things you needed to do and you only had a certain amount of time. So maybe doing both sports was good for my academics because I think as soon as you're not in a sport, at least for people who have a sport at least one season, you're like, I have all this time. I don't have to do anything. And then you don't do anything and then you don't do anything. So that would be mine. There's your queso. Appreciate it. <laughs> Simon? I'd echo that actually. The the structure like was probably the biggest positive I'm thinking about academically because that really forced me to get things done in a certain amount of time. The other, I think, was the trips, like the experiences of of playing and competing with um, other schools and other people and, and, and even like traveling out of state to, to play in whatever tournaments and things like that. I think that was probably the most positive experience playing at the collegiate level. Uh, that was really cool. The negative was that I had a... If you meet your coach, I think that's a really important thing if I can, <laughs> if I can tell you. Don't meet him over the phone. Legit meet your coach, try to observe a practice, see how they interact with their players. Because had I known that, I would not have played soccer at Cornell College when I did. That's, that coach is no longer there. I don't, we, we don't have to worry about stepping on your toes here. But I had a, not a great experience. That guy, I think, tried to show us how to properly hit a ball for a direct kick and had to do it 30 times before he actually got in the net. And I was like, so you have, you have no idea what you're doing. This is wonderful. Great. So that British accent didn't actually No, I didn't translate through. didn't translate at all. And he all he talk. wasn't wasn't a good leader. He wasn't a great teacher. He honestly yeah, wasn't wasn't a great experience from from the coach's aspect. Or maybe it was me. I don't know. I'm looking at it through through my lens, but he wasn't a great coach in my eyes. So if I could give any that was my negative and any feedback I can give to anybody listening is meet your coach in person and see how they interact with their players. Yeah. What other things are you looking for as you're evaluating the program? You've hit on a little bit of what you look for in the college, but when you thought about where you wanted to be and with that that type of program, what are you looking for? Yeah. I think when I went and like met the team, um, 
I think the difference between the two is like at Augsburg, like everyone just looked like they were having like genuine fun, Mm -hmm. Um, like looked like they were enjoying themselves. And I feel like you can kind of tell the difference between a program that's like you can tell they want to be there versus they're just kind of there. Um, And that I ended up finding out is exactly how my soccer experience was it was a lot of fun and then like of course when you need to do the work you need to do uh you get down to it I think that was a big piece and like I would say to Simon's point like I definitely did research on the coaches and made sure that they were had the stuff to back it up I mean Mike essentially built the like he's been the only head coach at Augsburg so he built the program from the ground up so anything that it is has kind of always been under his what he's wanted it to be and and he definitely voiced that and went through all of all of that sort of stuff and he actually now that i'm remembering he coached um he was a grad assistant at unc with anson dorrance who's like the pinnacle of women's college soccer and i was obsessed with north carolina so i think i'm sure that helped as well hmm. he definitely made sure to tell us that on the tour or on the uh the, the 30 minute overview of the program so it's pretty yeah. awesome Nice. Mm-hmm. If you were the czar of college sports, what would you change? Oh, man. This is such a very good question and it can be taken so many ways. I think whatever can be done to bring the focus of education back into it. College sports is wonderful. It absolutely is. Education needs to be at that same level of focus and funding and importance. Like I if, if you're going the collegiate route and you're going to go pro, that's awesome. But the education piece can't be missed or lost. Even if you go pro, there sh- should be programs or ways to find your way back so you can earn a full degree. I just don't want the education piece to be lost um, when we talk about college sports and the importance about it. Yeah, I would say I kind of too. My, my first one would be like, I feel like there's still, and I know there's been a lot of people who have tried to get rid of the stigma of like D3 sports and schools and just like, oh, they don't really matter. And I think my life was so enriched by going to a D3 school. And like, if the choice of, oh, if it's just D3 or nothing, a lot of people being like, oh, I'll just do nothing. Like, I do think there's so much value in still saying yes to doing a sport, even if it is for a couple of years and then you decide to go a different route. There's just so much value. And I feel like my life, wouldn't be what it is if not for that. And then I would say the majority of college athletes are not going pro. And so we need to make sure that we're taking into account the other 90%, whether that's through like making sure education is good or making sure like there's resources for mental health or if they are like, you know, get hurt, there's the adequate physical therapy and all that sort of stuff. I'd like to shift gears and talk a little bit about the show you guys have come up with called For the Love of Sport, which mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed listening to. I, I wondered if you could start by just telling us what's the quick description of the show and what are you trying to do with it? Simon's this is, all over this. Yep, this is where I still haven't written it down, by the way. I'm still going <laughs> off the top of the head. It's our love letter to youth sports. The idea for a podcast that's been centered around the youth sport experience was kicked around a lot You know, at, at Sports Engine where we work. Marie and I tackled it. We kind of looked at each other and Marie was like, what if we just make an episode? And then I'm so thankful for that, by the way. And we just made one, we kept going, but really it's about the youth sport experience. It's geared towards parents, towards athletes, towards coaches, towards administrators, towards volunteers who are part of that experience. And one celebrating it because there's a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of money that goes behind the scenes to provide the experience for kids to play sports in the first place. So it deserves to be celebrated. There's really unique stories that need to be told. 
that we felt were really important and why we wanted to start in the first place. But three, there's a lot of great knowledge share that can happen. There's great people who are leaders in the industry or just played sports as kids that great messages, great tangible things that can be brought back to help enhance youth sport organizations. So that's the goal. And it's really meant for everybody and all encompassing because the line uh, between a volunteer, a parent, a coach, and an admin is very blurred. You can be all four of those things at once. So it's really meant for everybody involved in the youth sport experience just to help enhance the youth sport experience. Yeah. One thing I like about it is, I mean, besides the rapport you two have, it's just, it's amusing. It's fun to listen to. I think we oh, talked thanks. about this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But no, it, it, there's, I even mentioned that like there were things about it that reminded me a little bit of Smartless, this really hilarious podcast. And you both, it sounds like got a little bit of inspiration from that. We did. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That is high if, praise. Yeah. If Jason Bateman's listening, I'm sure he wow. listens to your podcast. Oh, obviously. If he's listening, he yeah. We're available. If you guys, if they <laughs> want us on the show, we could do a, a show swap. We'd be open to, th- we're, we're open. Uh, I, I totally, I hear you. Um, wh- that's such high it- praise. I, I, I'm sorry. I have to just l- let that sit for a second before we continue, so I can deflate my ego. Because you just put us in the same echelon. Nice <laughs> vocab word, by the way. Echelon as smartless. Or no, I'm just kidding. You didn't actually, but it reminded you of it. It's, it's, it has airs of. It but does. I appreciate that. I Thank mean, you. part of it is your rapport and you're funny. You mostly you, Simon. You're funny. But I think that it's just, <laughs> oh, I'm, and you're not wow. funny. It's just like I don't see. I see. Here's it's what okay. I. Here's how I would handicap it. I think Simon <laughs> keeps the show very improvisational, and Marie keeps you on the tracks. And I think yes. that combination. That's a thousand percent really right. Hard. Yeah, it's accurate. It's, it's very accurate. the yin and the yang for sure. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of guests, and I think it is important. You do a good job of like bringing people on who are just like really just nice to get to know, but also mm-hmm. they have oftentimes lessons that can be valuable for mm-hmm. others. One recent episode was with this guest, Andy Ostrowski, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who I, I love also that you give these headlines on the episodes and this Andy was the Titan of tryouts. Yeah. It's just yeah. memorable. It's nice. <laughs> um, so for kids playing sports, there's obviously no shortage of tryouts that they're, they're having to go through throughout their careers. Yeah. But those, obviously those trials come with lots of stress what did you learn from Andy about some of the best practices and tools out there that can help make tryouts less stressful? Yeah. Um, biggest one that came to mind, I mean, we can certainly shout out the free resources that she sent us, but expectation setting, I think was, that's the first mm-hmm. thing that pops up for me. Because without that, then you're at the mercy of parents and players because you can't clearly set a good goal or a good team tryout without expectations. So setting those first and foremost and over-communicating them can't be stressed enough. I think that was- yeah. Yeah, that that that's definitely mine. And I think we talked about it on the on the episode, but in my experience, I I coached pretty competitive youth soccer, like U10 to U12. And even at that age, we were doing player evaluations three times a year. We were doing tryouts multiple times a year. And I think the one piece of feedback we always got is like there's such a negative word around like tryouts. And I think in the past, and maybe still at some organizations. They, because they don't set expectations or don't have processes in place, parents think that the two days a kid's at tryouts is the two days that decide their entire future or next year or team they're going to be on. But if you set expectations and have a process in place that says, no, like our coaches are evaluating all the time. We do, you know, rankings, player evaluations three times a year. We give you that feedback. We tell you what to work on. And then a tryout is essentially just like a, final check to say like, yep, we're going to make sure maybe we're going to move around a few people, but 
a lot of times at tryouts, and this is speaking from my own experience, we had teams set and we were just making sure and reviewing the teams. So I think it all comes back to, yeah, expectations, but also having a program set up at your organization yeah. that's like, here's how we do it. And we're going to tell you and we're going to be very transparent about it throughout the season so that when we get to the day of tryouts, your kid's not freaked out or maybe they don't feel good the day of tryouts. It's OK. Yeah. Like maybe they just don't perform well in that sort of uh, setting. So I would say all that is definitely I could talk about that for a while. But yeah, it's a it's a way to reinforce how much you care about the yep. kids who are trying out too. It's not something that should be overlooked or just like, oh, that they know, like, take it, take the moment, take the chance, you know, really level set with everybody. Let everybody know what you're looking for and then let them know the steps beyond it. Like, okay, so after the, after tryouts is done, here's the next steps and here's our ongoing development plan for the rest of the year. Let them know that your, your mindset's beyond it. It's, yeah, can't be stressed enough for sure. Yeah. Another thing this to bring this back to Smartless, the, <laughs> the, it, it's almost like when you listen to Smartless, the guest is almost incidental at times. They're mm -hmm. the show, sort of. And at times, I think some of the insights that you share and like what you just talked about, Marie, having coached kids at a young age, like I think I enjoy those moments in the episodes when you insert your thoughts and you don't just set people up to be the experts. Mm -hmm. um, so on that note, and as you think about working with kids at a young age to prepare them for the athletic recruiting process, any advice you'd give to parents on how to a, a maybe not stress so much about it, but be like, <laughs> what should they be doing and thinking about it at, at a young age? Yeah. I mean, I think my journey and exactly like what I went through is a sign to, to say like, it's never too late for your kid. Like every kid is on such a wildly different development path. Some are 10 through 12, they're like the best kid on the team. And then at 12, they decide they don't want to play soccer and want to play, you know, basketball, or they decide they want to try volleyball, or you get the opposite. I think I coached a ton of kids who we always in winter training would do like age group training. So everyone is in the same, same practice. Doesn't matter if you're on the top team or the fourth team. And we'd have kids that when they were 10, they'd be on the fourth team. And when they're 13, they're the best player or one of the best players on the top team. And I think that's so important nowadays because I think parents are like, if my kid's not on the best team at 10 or not on the best team, we're not yeah. doing enough or they're not good enough. And they leave the organization and try to find somewhere else or they try to push their kid. And I've yet to experience like the kid, like the kid is always the one that is kind of in the middle of that. And yeah. they know and realize more than you probably think they do when they come to practice. Like that all comes out and that all. So I, I don't know. I just I think kids are on different development paths and they will tell you where they want to go and what they want out of this. Um, and then you might have a kid who's just like crazy good and crazy talented and ride that as well, like push that as well, if that's what the path that they want to be on. But that's my one piece of of feedback. And and I think my my own journey is a perfect example that I'd never played club soccer and eventually got a got recruited to play soccer in college and, and was an All-American. So I think it's like, you know, you can be on whatever path and, and grow at whatever mm -hmm. rate and it usually all works out in the end. That's great advice. I think it's often deflating for kids who don't get placed on those yeah. top teams and then that manifests in how they play and how their parents feel about them. And it's just, it kind of devolves quickly from there where yeah. if, mm -hmm. you do, if you do remind parents as a coach that, 
kids are on different development tracks and this is where they need to be right now and getting practice and playing with the level of competition that we're putting them in is best for their development. It's not just like you need to be on the best team to be around the best players to advance the best because sometimes you need to be on the worst team to get better faster. Yeah, we actually just we'll have a few episodes coming out uh, Mm -hmm. kind of around this same topic. We were just out at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philly and almost every person we talked to uh, talked to us about the idea of like getting more towards building organizations and a culture around like player pathways and player development pathways, which is like setting up programs that help players develop at whatever rate they're going to develop instead of going and only caring about team success. And that like a player needs to be on a great team in order for them to develop is just not true. Like they can be on a team that's not great and be developing at a faster rate. And I think at an organization level, it's how do we change our mindset instead of trying to find a team that wins all the time, find the best program and organization for your kid to develop. It was really interesting. It was kind of the first time I'd really in-depthly talked about that. Um, So I think we'll, we'll probably continue to hear more about that. And don't, don't underestimate what D2 and D3 have to offer. Like we all see like the random like places, you know, that D1 schools have that are for their athletes that are just these palaces. Don't underestimate what D2 and D3 can bring. Like from what I've seen from, I mean, my own alma mater about what they've invested in terms of like athletics and training and everything along those lines, there's, there are diamonds everywhere that can offer a great place to nurture and grow and develop that talent as long as the talent is there and wants to work hard. And case in point, Marie, uh, Devin George, great uh, MBA, great Augie. Augsburg University. Augie alum, He's baby. an Augie. So there you go. It, it comes down to the right environment. So don't discount just because they're not D1. I'm not sure how prevalent it is, but just because they're not D1 doesn't mean it's the right environment. So true. Okay. Last thing I want to do, you guys do this fun thing at the end of your podcast called This or That, <laughs> where you ask people to give you quick answers to essentially kind of quirky youth sports related questions. Sometimes they're a little bit adjacent to sports, but it's that's the fun mm-hmm. of it. And I think it helps people get to know the guests a little better, right? Um, sure. Yeah. So I want to ask, I want to do my version of this with with you, which I'm going to just call awesome. the speed round. Um, cool. So okay. Ma- Marie, you answer first, then Simon. You guys ready? Yeah. Let's do yes. it. All right. Ooh. Orange slices or juice boxes? Juice box. Orange slice. Soccer or football? Soccer. Soccer. Gophers yeah, or badgers? Badgers. Go- gophers. Here my bobblehead. <laughs> Rec sports or travel? Oh, uh, I only play. I mean, I'd play both. I'll go I'll blah, 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 travel. Travel. Yeah. All right. And finally, for you, Midwesterner, winter loving people, <laughs> snowblower or shovel? Shovel all day. Get the workout S- in. Snowblower, if you have it. Yeah, <laughs> this guy. Like this he's going to be a dad, so he's got to. I mean, these last snowfalls are were just straight up heart attack snow, just heavy and and I only have a shovel and it's it's a lot. And can you imagine like everybody in the Midwest can deal with this? It is a workout. Like I had a whoop on like a little tracker and it was like yeah. giving me a warning. Like it was like stop, this is too much. <laughs> You've exceeded. Yeah, nice. Well, that was great, you guys. Thank yeah. you so much for taking some time and for centering this around lots of good advice and tips for families. Really appreciate you taking time. Any last thoughts? Actually, yeah, Brad, if you're down, I'll, I'll throw a this or that right now, right, right. here th- to you. We'll, right. go, we'll, go f- we'll go four questions. All right, nice and quick. Ready? 
Soup or nachos? Nachos all day. Swim in a lake or an ocean? Not swim. <laughs> Just sit by the you water. You need to answer. Good. I like that. <laughs> Is it pronounced GIF or JIF? It's supposed to be pronounced GIF, but they say it's actually GIF. Yeah. Birthday cards. Do you keep them or you throw them away? Oh, I keep everything. Nice. <laughs> nice one. Easy. Anything, well, anything with a handwritten note, especially. There fair. you go. That's a good rule. Yeah. I like that. That's a good rule. However, Simon and I are both throw away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> However. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. All right. Well, well I won't yeah, write we'll you a thank away. you note because you'll throw it away. But thank you very no. much for, for, for joining me no, today. You're, you're, our, you're our first person. You're the first yeah. podcast we've been on together. So that would be like in our shadow box, in our For the Love of Sports That's podcast true. shadow yeah. box. We'll put that up in our studio that <laughs> we may put together. Yeah. All right. We'll see. Thank you guys. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, Good Brad. Luck with this was awesome. Thanks. Right, cool. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for this time. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any episodes. And if you know someone who could benefit from listening to the show, please send them a link to this episode. See you next time.